This evening I'm going to uh, see, a, go in, see in concert one of my uh, favorite groups, uh, the Avett Brothers and, uh, in Dallas. And they sing a song that uh, was one of the first ones that really kind of captured my imagination, uh, drew me in. And it's called Shame. And here's what I want you to hear it. Okay, so I was wrong about my reasons for us falling out of love I want to fall back in. My life is different now, I swear. I know now what it means to care about somebody other than myself. I know the things I said to you, they were untender and untrue. I'd like to see those things undo. So if you could find it in your heart to give a man a second start, I promise things won't end the same. And then the chorus, shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. Blame, please lift it off. Please take it off. Please make it stop. Then goes on, I felt so sure of everything, my love to you so well received, and I just strutted around your town knowing I didn't let you down. The truth be known, the truth be told, My heart was always fairly cold. Posing to be as warm as yours, yours, my way of getting in your world. But now I'm out and I've had time to look around and think and sink into another world that's filled with guilt and overwhelming shame. Boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. Blame, please lift it off, please take it off, please make it stop. Have you ever wondered, I I wonder this, have you ever wondered why it is, I don't know these guys, I I don't think they're Christians. Have you ever wondered why it is that Christian uh, and people who aren't Christian um, in, in, the, in art, artists, musicians, are able to identify the brokenness of our world so well? This, by the way, is why the, they're so confused by the church. Is because this, this kind of honesty doesn't tend to come, and I'm speaking generally, doesn't tend to come from us. And it's why they're confused by us, and sometimes they hate us because they see brokenness, and they look at uh, they look at the church, and they look at a, a group of people that seems to act as if they float above this reality. But I know, I know, and you know because you you heard the lyrics. I know some of you when you heard those lyrics, you thought that's me. That's powerful. You heard those lyrics and you understand what it is to uh, uh, think about shame, boatloads of shame. You know what it is to um, plead and to wonder who is going to ever remove this burden of shame from your life. This, um, I've, uh, sometimes I, I think of it as this, you know, that you're, you're in this boat and you're moving forward and there's just behind you, there's this, this wake of stuff. And just the more you move on, there's this trail of stuff that just comes off behind you. Every one of us in this room should identify in some way with the the lyrics of this song. Um, My wife, Heather, uh, has recently started watching Super Nanny. Anybody watch Super Nanny? It's worth watching. It's it's a good show. um, She's Super Nanny. And what she does is she goes, they film... Parents interacting with their children for several days. 
And she watches this, and she diagnoses how, she, how they deal with their, their children. And then she goes in and spends some time in the house observing them also. And then she begins to instruct them in, in the way to uh, better parent their children. But as I watch the show, I, am, I cannot help but feel shame. Can you imagine what it would be like to have somebody film your interactions on a regular basis with your children and then show it on TV? I, I seriously, I look at it and I think, oh my goodness, my son is going to hate me. I'm embarrassed. And it's not even me. I just know, I just know. I know what it would look like if all of y'all could, could see a f- footage of the way I interact with my child or my spouse or your roommate or your friends or your parents or whoever it is. So the Avid brothers have identified a very common human reality. And it's just brokenness. And it's the overwhelming weight of, of that trail of stuff we leave behind us. Some of us are good at uh, moving forward and acting as if there's nothing behind us. Some of us are very, um, uh, it's very hard for us to do that. But either way, there's, it's all back there. And it's all on display for those who really know you to see. And the question then for us is, what do we do about it? Where do we go? Uh, what, what, what do we have to answer the question of who will take this off? Who will make it stop? And that's what our um, passage today deals with in part, not in every way, but I think uh, it gets in a very simple way to the heart of the matter. So I ask if you will to turn to Mark chapter 6. It's one of the most familiar uh, passages in the Bible. It's the only passage, the only story of Jesus that's in all four of the Gospels. It's the feeding of the 5,000, starting in verse 30. And I ask that if you're able to please stand for the hearing of God's word. Verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. 
And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up the twelve baskets full of broken pieces of, of, pieces and of, of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you that your word is true and that it, is, uh, it, that it does abide. We thank you that it has come in the flesh in Christ. We pray that it would um, be, that our hearts would be illumined to hear it, our minds would be illumined to understand it, and that we would be changed this morning um, as the word is proclaimed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so we have, um, as I said, the um, the only story of Jesus that's in all four of the Gospels. Um, it's it's a centerpiece of understanding who Jesus is and what he is about. So I wanted us to look at that this morning. Uh, what we, we find is the apostles had been sent out earlier in, in chapter 6. They're sent out to uh, heal, to proclaim the kingdom. And they've come back to Jesus. And they are, uh, Jesus wants to take them out on a retreat. And if you, I want you to put yourself in, in the, the setting. Uh, we're told they, they go out on a retreat and they try to go to a desolate place. Desolate place is not the desert, but a place that's removed from people. And they are seen as they go, and they look up. I don't know how this happens. They look up, and there's 5,000, we're told at the end of the text, 5,000 men. Um, And probably what that means is that uh, women and children included in this group, there would have been seven to 10,000 people that have just uh, entered this desolate place. One commentator says it would would have been, the, the term desolate place, uh, means that to get there would be a, a, an expedition. It's, not a, it's a place removed from people. And 10,000 pe- maybe 10,000 people, at least 5,000 people, have made the effort, put forth the energy to find Jesus in this place. And as he looks up, and this is what we're going to focus on today. We're going to take a very narrow slice of this. There's so much more that could be said about this text. He looks up. And imagine, if you will, five to 10,000 people in their flowing robes kind of streaming over the hillside. And the image in Jesus' mind is sheep. He, he sees this, this flock of people, and, and even the, the way they, they set out against the, the landscape where he is, it, 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 it pictures, the picture is perfect, it's like sheep. It would have been a very common sight in a first century Greco-Roman world, Palestine, that they would have uh, seen sheep herders all around, uh, uh, around them. It was a, the, the most common uh, business, family business, other than agriculture. Now, you and I don't really have a lot of contact with sheep, I don't suspect. I'm, I'm looking out, I don't know any sheep farmers in the group. Um, so I, I want I want you to, we're going to walk through this, this, what it means that Jesus looks out and identifies sheep. What does that mean? First thing I want you to know is that sheep are the most frequently mentioned animal in the Bible. 400 times sheep or shepherd uh, is mentioned somewhere in the scriptures or, or, or something about sheep or flock. I'm sorry. Over a hundred times or approximately a hundred times shepherd is mentioned. 
So it's the most common metaphor, picture in the Bible, most uh, frequently mentioned uh, animal in the Bible. People started raising sheep over 10,000 years ago. Spinning wool into thread began about 5,000 years ago. Together, I've said this, with agriculture, tending sheep was basic to the economy of Palestine in biblical times. It was a basic economic source. The great thing about sheep, and the reason this is true, and the reason they were uh, one of the first animals domesticated, is that sheep could survive on little water, little grass. They could be moved. Uh, if, if you had to move in a, in a place where uh, there was seasonal rains and grass sprung up and then went away, then sheep were the perfect animal because you could move them across large stretches of land to graze them wherever the green grass might be. They could be moved without fences. Uh, sheep don't have great uh, eyesight, but they have great uh, hearing. So that, um, that a sheep would actually, the shepherd would begin to call a sheep by name. And a particular sheep would identify with their name. And they would certainly identify with their shepherd's voice. So what would happen in, in, in the first century, this still happens today in, in places where sheep herding farming is, is very popular, or still a, a, an, a, um, a part of the economy, is several families would bring their sheep together. S- several herds would come together at a particular wa- watering place. And the, the, the way you separated all those sheep was just the shepherd would begin to call his sheep. And the sheep would, would separate out of the, the, the greater flock based on the, the voice, their recognition of the voice of the one that was calling them. So sheep were, were a great animal to domesticate and build your livelihood around in, in first century Palestine. But he doesn't just see, look up and see sheep. We're in verse 34. He looks up and sees sheep, shepherdless sheep. He sees sheep, and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And this is where sheep become, uh, becomes very important to understand about sheep, because one of the things we know about sheep is they're creatures of habit. Um, they're, they're completely vulnerable to predators. Sheep is basically the most well-designed prey animal that I can think of, right? <laughs> they don't have good eyesight. Um, they don't run very fast. And if you knock them over, they can't get back up, right? So they're, 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 they're perfectly designed to be prey. They cannot uh, defend, defend themselves. They have only lower teeth, so they bite, but their bite is not an, uh, it does no damage. It cannot defend them. They are... Um, uh, as I said, vulnerable predators, they're also creatures of habit. And this is why, uh, so, uh, this is why sheep need a shepherd. Is, um, sheep will, by habit, graze the same plot of land. They'll, they'll do the same routine over and over again. And what they wind up doing is wearing down, uh, they'll wear down paths that turn into uh, gull- washes, wadis, that, that wash out. They foul the land, they'll, they'll work over the same area of land, eating all the grass down to the nub. Then they'll dig it up and completely foul the land and die of disease because they, they live this habitual life. And if there's not a shepherd to move them from place to place, their, their, their habits will eventually destroy them. They will uh, wander off. They'll follow a particular, if they have their head down and there's a sheep in front of them, they'll just keep their head down and they'll follow that sheep wherever it goes. 
Sheep are vulnerable both to predators and their own nature. They're afraid of shadows. Uh, I've said they will foul the land. They'll lay down and chew their cud. And if they tip over on their side after they've laid down and nobody's there to pick them up, they'll die because they can't get back uh, onto their feet. So sheep, vulnerable, both to their own uh, habits, their own nature, but to those outside of them. They're totally dependent for protection, food, water, shelter, and veterinary care from a shepherd. This is what one commentator says. He says, in fact, sheep would not survive long without a shepherd. Sheep are not only dependent creatures, they are also singularly unintelligent, prone to wandering, and unable to find their way to a sheepfold, even when it's within sight. That's what Jesus sees. That's when he looks up and he sees this stream of white garments coming over the hillside, this five to 10,000 people. He looks up and he sees sheep and he sees sheep who, are, who have no shepherd, who are without hope, who will die, who will kill themselves by their own habits or they will be killed by predators because they have no way to defend themselves. They are singularly, according to this uh, commentator, un- unintelligent. I have a couple of examples. This one comes from Istanbul, Turkey. 2005, an AP article. Um, there's a group of families that is come together for lunch with their uh, sheep. They have, how many sheep is it? Um, some, I think, 10,000 sheep that, that they brought together in this, this single flock. They're, they're off sitting down for lunch. And they look up at, at a commotion and notice that there's this sort of wave of sheep going over a cliff. And what has happened is one sheep has grazed off of the cliff and now 1,500 other sheep follow the first one over the cliff to their death. But it's not even that. That's, that's ridiculous um, on its face. But, but it's actually more ridiculous because what happens is that the pile of sheep at the bottom gets so tall that only 450 of the 1,500 that go over die because the rest of them bounce when they get there. They, they just, they, I don't know, that one sheep decides there's something down there. He goes off, and they just start following the sheep off, off the cliff. This, this was $100,000 worth of, of uh, damage to this family's uh, income. And uh, th- that is in a, in a place where $2,700 is the gross domestic uh, product per person. So that's a lot of money. Sheep. Um, another story I have from a friend of mine who uh, worked on a, a farm in Wales tending sheep. And uh, he was out one day tending the sheep. And as he was walking, he hears a faint bleat and goes to def- starts searching to discover what it is. And as he's uh, looking to find where this is coming from, he comes across a sheep that's tipped up, face down, in a hole with its legs up in the air, flailing, kicking about. And what has happened is the sheep is grazing in this, this uh, field of grass, but he's come to a hole that's three or so feet wide and three or so feet deep, and he's decided that the grass at the bottom of the hole looks good. And so he decides to eat down in the hole, and he tips up, and if there's nobody there to rescue him, he will die. 
And the rest of the flock has left him, and he, as, as my friend says, he goes to pull the sheep out. It kicks and bites him, um, and, and not realizing at all that the person's there to help him. Sheep. This is what Jesus sees when he sees those who are around him. He sees them and he understands them as sheep. And here's what I want you to understand, that that's us. That, that, that when Jesus looks on us and he sees us and when we see who we are, we're sheep. And we should be able to identify with the Avid brothers in understanding how our own habits and our own folly and our own proneness to wander leads us uh, down a path where there's this wake of shame and guilt behind us. All of us should, have, uh, should identify with that. Jesus looks on us, and he sees us as sheep. Now, we understand that um, this is not something that most of us would want to identify with. If we were to pick a, an animal to maybe call, I don't know, our mascot, my personal mascot, we wouldn't pick sheep, right? For some of us, I think it's easy to over-identify with this. For some of us, we're overwhelmed with guilt and shame, and we don't know where to go. Some of us, we so, over, uh, so identify with our proneness to wander and our brokenness and our confusion that we um, feel hopeless and helpless. Some of us under-identify with this reality, and we hear it, and we think, that's just not me. And what I'm here to say is if you're going to understand who Jesus is in this passage, you must first understand who you are. If we are going to be a church that uh, cares for sheep, then we must understand who we are. But that's one of the ways that you can know if you properly identify with this reality about yourself. Let me ask you. One of the ways you can know if you properly identify with, the, with your being a sheep, my being a sheep, is how you treat other sheep. How do you treat other sheep? How, how do you treat your child when your child does the, that thing that you've told them over and over again to stop? How do you treat your child or your friend or your spouse when they do that thing that you've warned them that has a consequence on the other end of it and they walk down that path and they're at the consequence? How do you treat them when you see them at that place? How do you treat those around you who are broken and hurting who do that foolish thing? This is why super nanny is so convicting to me because I know what I do. I know what's in my heart. What is in your heart? And the reason you react and look at that person and think, you fool. I could have told you. I did tell you. I told you that if you did that, that would happen. And you did it anyway. And you treat people, a sheep around you, um, with disdain, with hatred, with self-righteousness. Maybe you just go around busying yourself trying to manage the sheep around you, not ever recognizing that you're one also. That, that somehow you think that you've got this thing figured out and that, um, that you've come on the scene to 
rally the sheep and get them all in their place. Some of us in here, that's our posture towards those around us. The reality is that we're all in this same boat. You may ask me, um, are, are there not, <laughs> you know, I guess an obvious question, are there not mature among us who are here to help sheep um, or help each other? And th- that's true. Um, and I, I think what, what I would say to that is, how do we identify who the mature among us are? It's the people who identify with this reality. The mature among us are not the ones who seem to skate above this reality and sort of hover around the rest of us to help us. They're actually the ones who identify with this and come alongside as fellow sheep. That's the mature among us. That's what it means to be a mature Christian. And here's what I want you to see about the passage. Everything about it is set up for, um, to, to reveal what, how I would react how, what my heart would do in this circumstance. Um, Jesus calls them out. We're, look, we're told in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place, to a place removed from people. Let's go away by ourselves to a place removed by, from people. Let's get away from it all and let's rest. And 10,000 people show up. You get that. 10,000 people show up at this place that Jesus has taken his disciples to rest. And we have to realize that this is a real human need. That, that We don't know all that's going on there, but Jesus was a man. His disciples were humans. They had just been out traveling, and, and they needed this physically. And they look up, and all they want is to rest and get away. They look up, and, and there's 10,000 people. Have you ever been, I mean, this is ridiculous, it's a, one of those, obvious uh, rhetorical questions. You've ever been planning a trip and everything you, you've done and you've planned to get ready for it, something breaks right there. The car doesn't start and you're ready to roll out the door. Um, Heather and I, our first um, anniversary went to San Francisco. We had this great trip planned. We're going to travel around and camp and we go to get the rental car and my license is expired and she's not 25 yet. And our whole trip just kind of crashes down in the car rental place. Because she can't get the, the over 25 discount, or she can't even rent the car. And I can't rent the car because my license is expired. And this is where Jesus is. And I can tell you that I did not look up in that situation, the way Jesus is. But here's what you've got to see. That when Jesus sees these sheep, his reaction is compassion. We're just focusing on verse 34, by the way. He, he looks up, he goes ashore, he sees a great crowd. Everything about this setting would lead all of us in this room to be deeply, deeply annoyed. At minimum, 10,000 people. And Jesus looks with compassion. He sees them for what they are, sheep, shepherdless sheep, an intrusion in his plans, and yet his reaction is compassion. It's a very interesting word. It, it began as a word for um, your, I don't know, your guts. 
And it came to be a word that was used for the very visceral reaction of God in compassion. See, where my visceral reaction, where what, what wells up in me when these kinds of things, my own, my own sheepness, my own proneness to wander, my own brokenness uh, uh, comes up in my life, or other people's proneness to wander and brokenness, their, the reality of their sin and brokenness, when it comes into my life, what wells up within me is not compassion. But Jesus, the very heart of his posture toward sheep is compassion. The very, the very ingrained, natural reaction to your mess. Here's what you've got to understand. That God, and, and when he looks at you, and you think that his reaction is going to be disdain and, and, and um, judgment, and he's going to look at you and say, you fool. How many of you in this room have thought about your sin and that thing that you do over and over again, and you suspect that when God looks at you, he says, you idiot. I could have told you. I actually did tell you right? Don't do that. And if you do that, bad things will happen. And yet what we see in Jesus is when he sees us in that state, when he sees us as sheep, when he sees us as sheep without a shepherd, his visceral reaction is compassion. It's love. It's mercy. It is not disdain. It is not hatred. And it's not, I wish you would get your act together. It's compassion. How many of you have ever um, in this room uh, been convicted of a sin and come to realize that it was sin and thought, okay, I really need to confess this to God, but before I do that, I'm going to read my Bible um, have my quiet time every morning for a week, and then I'll go to God and say, now, God, I've done this. I've shown you that I recognize that this is a sin and that I'm really trying hard. Now will you forgive me? Have you ever made that kind of barter with God? That somehow if you're going to um, get God's forgiveness and get his compassion out of him, you've got to show him that you mean it. It's because you don't understand that the very heart of God at this place over here in your brokenness is compassion. We will not understand what it is to have shame lifted off until we believe, and inasmuch as we believe, that Jesus, when he sees us in our folly and in our proneness to wander and in our habitual, um, in our habits that lead us to our own destruction, that he looks on us and his visceral reaction towards us is compassion that it's actually love and mercy that moves him in that moment, not disdain. This word compassion, uh, the, the, the verb, the subject, it, it, that, G, that Jesus or God is on, only ever the subject in the New Testament. This is a word in the New Testament that has come to be reserved for the disposition of God. And we see it two other particular places that I'll bring up. One is the Good Samaritan. Whereas everybody else passes by, when the Samaritan sees the one broken in the road, his, he is moved with this word. This word is what moves him, compassion. The other is the father in the prodigal son, who when he sees his son who's taken all of his wealth and squandered it on prostitutes and, and 
um, wicked living? I mean, how, think about that. Think about what you would do when you saw that person coming back down the road. What would well up in you? And we're told that the father is moved by compassion and he runs to his son, which men just, men of, of dignity would not have done. Jesus looks on you in your sheepness and he sees you in all of it. All of that stuff, all of the stuff that um, weighs you down, or all of that stuff that you're trying to run from and hide and deny that's a part of your life. And he sees all that, and instead of what you suspect he will do, which is be angry and frustrated with you, he is moved with compassion. And Christian, until you embrace that, you will either... um, live self-righteously and deny what's really going on in your heart or you'll live weighed down by this trail of stuff behind you. Have you ever, have you ever been in the midst of a situation where your sin or your just, you confuse sin and not in, maybe not in an act of of commission, but an omission, whatever it may be, your own brokenness, confusion, sin, where it's just, it's weighing on everything that you're touching right now. And have you ever sat back and, and thought, that shows me all the more how much Jesus loves me? Do we do that? Do we look at those around us and see them in their brokenness and have patience and compassion for them? In their brokenness. By the way, we're called to do this. Jesus, I think, points this out in the, the disciples. And the, the disciples come to him and say, hey, they're hungry. We've got to give them something to eat. And he says, you give them something to eat. If this church is ever going to be a, an agent of the gospel in this community, the one thing that we must own, or two things we must own, is that we're sheep. And that Jesus has compassion on sheep. Two things. And we will not uh, do that well in our, in, in, to our neighbors, to our city, to those around us, if we do not own those two things. It's not possible. Because you and I will try to beat the sheep into submission instead of love them with compassion. We will get angry and frustrated. We will not be a healthy body among ourselves if we, cannot, if we can't forgive each other and extend forgiveness to one another until we understand that, that we are sheep and Jesus has compassion on sheep. There may be somebody across this room this morning that you are estranged from, that you are angry with, that you treat with disdain in your heart. And the only thing that will overcome that is an understanding that you are broken And that Jesus has compassion on broken people. The reality of this passage, it goes on. Like I said, there's so much more here. As Jesus feeds them, he teaches them. He does all of this stuff. But what I want you to understand, now what I think is actually the key to understanding this passage, is that as much as sheep are frustrating, um, again, they're, uh, they're not the kind of mascot we would pick. By the way, a shepherd's not the kind of mascot you would pick for yourself either. A shepherd was considered a, a thief in, in, in this culture. 
because he would graze his, his uh, sheep across people's land. It was um, on the proscribed list of professions among the religious folks of the day. If you're a shepherd, you're a sinner. That's what the Pharisees said. And not only does we get identified with this, she, this, this animal that we wouldn't want to identify with, but Jesus in his compassion identifies with this trade that the high religious around him would not want him identified with. This is how we move toward others, first by understanding our plight, and secondly, by understanding Jesus' heart, the heart of the Father toward us in all of this mess. Jesus, in this reality, comes to give us rest. Our fears and weaknesses are many. Our hope and faith strains under the fears of our enemies and our own failings. And what you've got to understand is God has compassion on us and shepherds us in the midst of this. And the way he does that is Jesus takes the place of the sheep. You've got to understand that. That's so uh, profound. This is not something that anybody uh, in in this society would have ever embraced as as the, the metaphor for their savior. Messiah could not be shepherd because shepherd is on the proscribed list. Messiah couldn't be a sheep either. Do you understand that I, I can't think of anything more pathetic than the image of a lamb that walks willingly, silently to the slaughter. And what we're told is that Jesus takes that place so that his compassion on you might bring you rest, might relieve the guilt, might take off the shame, that might remove uh, your sense of brokenness and weighed down by all of that trail of stuff. And Jesus actually steps in the place of of vulnerability, of weakness, of, of the sheep for you. And I'll close with this. Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. So all of our wanderings, all of our folly was placed upon him with the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation who considered, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, and although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. 
Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By the knowledge, his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many sheep to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. The heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God himself towards you in all of your sheepness is compassion. Amen.